Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm joined by my wife, Kristen. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that is not what I say. Totally, totally uh, sound. All right. Totally corny joke. Anyway, my name is Kristen, and my husband, Daniel, is here. This season, we are focusing on deconstructing church, where the church has been and where it is going. In this episode, we are talking about new models of church, how they are rethinking the underlying assumptions about church and structuring themselves for the future. So today, Daniel has the honor of giving us a funny story, and it is pretty funny. This is a good one, honey. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I I think I was in my 20s or so, mid-20s, and uh, I was a youth pastor. I was in graduate school, and then I was youth pastoring as a kind of a part-time job. So I got invited to speak at a a kind of evangelistic crusade Mm -hmm. for youth, uh, specifically high school. And large, large crusade. I mean, it was a 500-seat auditorium at least, okay. uh, church in La Crescenta. So I got asked to do this. So I said, sure, great. I'd love to be a part. They gave me a topic. It was wonderful. I show up. And, you know, it's like two minutes before. I mean, they don't say this in church, but, you know, curtain call. Yeah. And so as, as whenever these kinds of things happen, you know, where, where it's like I'm going to preach event you know, like the gospel or something like that. It's not just like a teaching on Sunday morning. I get really nervous and my start, my heart starts to, you know, kind of mm. go a little nuts. And so I am getting ready to do this. So I go to the bathroom, it just kind of for a tinkle, right? And so I do my <laughs> business and then I go and I'm going to wash my hands and I typically like to throw water on my face and it kind of just kind of helps me. So I do that. I go out, they're singing songs, worship, the whole thing, which why you're worshiping before an evangelist, they, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But so then it's my turn to come up, you know, welcome special guest, Pastor Daniel Lowry from Light of Love Church in Granada Hills, California. So I walk up and I'm like, hey guys, how are you? And it's like youth pastor on. So I'm preaching, I'm going for it. Kids are just like, they're laughing, right? But they're like smirking laughing the Mm -hmm. whole sermon. And I'm thinking, man, I am on fire. You know, (laughs) like I got this crowd exactly where I want them to be. You are so funny. So I, yeah, I'm so Mm -hmm. funny. This is great. I'm, and and I'm talking about how like Jesus, Jesus wants you to wash you clean from your sins. And I don't know why that got a laugh, right? But it just got a huge laugh. And so I'm starting to think like something's going on here. You know, is my fly down? What, What What's going on? So eventually I give the altar call and very few people came up for the altar. I mean, crickets, right? And okay. I was just floored. Like, what is going on? I thought I had these guys. So anyway, we mm-hmm. prayed a little bit and I just kind of went back down to the floor, you know, and, and sat next to my friend, just kind of feeling dejected. I'm like, man, I do not know what's going on. And he said, dude, your pants are completely wet. So I looked down. <laughs> 
And I don't know what happened, but evidently when I washed my hands, <laughs> all of the water went on that part of my jeans and it made it look like oh I, I, you know, kind of urinated in my pants. Oh my God. So this whole sermon, I've got the stain. And I don't mean just like a few drops that trinkled, mm -hmm. you know, while I was washing. I mean, it looked like a bucket was poured. And, and so no wonder they were laughing when I got to the part of Jesus wants to wash you. Clean. <laughs> from your sins, wash and you clean. Wash Dan's jeans. Yeah. Too. Yeah. No, anyway. it's so funny because I was troubleshooting. I was like, you know, you probably leaned up against the edge of the sink. Cause you know how in public, anyway, public bathrooms, they get all wet. Oh man, honey. I'm sorry. Yeah. I bet they never my... forgot it though. Well, you know, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> That's all that, you know, as long as your girl's happy, we're okay. All right. Okay. Well, super fun. Thank you for sharing, honey, your humiliation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're here today to talk about some new models of church. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it is we have been kind of looking at the traditional model of church in previous episodes. We also had our leader, Bill Randall, share some awesome wisdom. I mean, oh my goodness, I have listened to it twice now, and I'm still writing down things that he said that were just so great. So he talked a little bit about kind of new expressions of church, but we really wanted to touch on what do those things actually look like, trying to be helpful. And as we've been on this journey, so many people have said there has got to be more to church than this. And it's kind of our quest, our mission to answer that kind of cry of the heart or that longing that says there's got to be more. What are we even doing here? We've heard so many people say that. And usually in a normal church setting, when we, well, when we were pastoring, right, we asked the same thing. I forget what year it was, but we've probably been on this journey for at least the last five years of what are we even doing? And usually what we do is we kind of make some tweaks to our existing delivery system, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you kind of see two things in this kind of traditional model versus new expressions. There's like the delivery system, which let's say that's the Sunday morning service, right? And then there's the product. And what would you consider the product to be like the gospel? Yeah, the gospel, uh, the kingdom, right? Yeah. The delivery system is like, we know that we need the word, right? The delivery system is sermons, right? Exegetical sure. sermons, or we do preach through series or something like that. And typically what happens when people start talking about, you know, we need to do church differently, they start talking about things like, well, you know, what we do is we preach first and then we break up into small groups and have people share with one another or hold each other accountable, right? That's that's not really changing what's happening, right? That's not really, that's not a fundamental right. change. Fundamentally, it's the same. It's just tweaking the old. Right. And, you know, well, we do worship with 
only percussion, right? Uh, we're doing church differently. Uh, one, one of the most popular ways of doing it or that people will understand is like, well, we're just tired of the big show, so we're going to meet in a home. It's, it's still fundamentally the same. Like it has the same underlying assumptions. I've just tweaked the delivery system in right. some way, right? But it's the yeah. kingdom dynamics that we need to be talking about. Yeah. And so one verse that really impacted us, and this was even before we left our church, left pastoring, is that when Jesus talks about you need new wineskins for new wine, your old wineskins won't cut it anymore, right? I'm doing a new thing and you need new wineskins to hold that. And so kind of what we're talking about today I'm saying kind of a lot. Sorry. What we are talking about today is... Kind of. Kind of. (laughs) I know. What we're talking about today, for sure, is trying to get at what would that new wineskin be? So little did we know we that whole that verse was our theme verse for the fall of 2019. And lo and behold, in 2020 which is a little bit funny considering what has happened to the world in 2020. God also gave us the Lowry family brand new wineskins. <laughs> he gave us a whole new thing in 2020. So we are going to talk about some examples today because I think that would be helpful if you've been listening along with us. It would be helpful to talk about, well, gosh, if we're not going to do like a traditional Sunday morning service, whether that's in a church building or in a home, then what are we going to do? What are the assumptions and the principles and the foundational beliefs, like the pillars that uphold the whole thing? How are those different in what we're looking at doing and these new models of church, new expressions? So Dan, you're going to talk about a few examples that we know of, and I'm sure there are more, but these are just the ones we're most familiar with. Yeah. So there, um, as we're talking, as we're moving forward, we're going to be talking about some of the underlying assumptions that make up the way we do this thing called church, the metrics we use, how we gauge success, the funding models, the ministry models, the leadership styles, the church planting models, right? And what we don't want to do when we're talking about new wineskins and old Mm wineskins is simply talk about, well, you know, if you did sermons differently or praise differently, we want to tackle the underlying assumptions. And there are three great examples of gospel movements that have really asked those questions and are mm-hmm. changing the underlying assumptions. The first one is a Tampa Underground in Tampa, Florida, the Tampa Underground Network. And what they did is they, they started a, a flurry, a series of micro churches. And some of the micro churches are micro in number and, and some of them are, are larger. But what they've done is they've changed the model from the gathering, the worship service being the center of the wheel. You know, if you take a wheel with mm-hmm. spokes and you have the hub to it's no longer the center. The center of what they do is starting these micro churches in areas where the gospel has not yet been reached. So they'll go to the strip clubs. They'll go downtown L.A. They'll encourage people to start these things in their homes. And 
if they want, they can go to the church service. Like they have mm-hmm. something for them, but only if it benefits. Now that is a revolutionary idea for churches because your typical church, the Sunday morning service is the hub of the wheel and everything right. flows from that, right? So it's this new model. You have uh, another model is the Lighthouse Fellowships in Alaska, uh, headed up by Nikki and Kelly Chewbacca, which we had an opportunity to interview and they'll be joining us next week. Mm-hmm. Well, what they actually did was they began to realize that they were asking people to show up on Sunday morning and do your traditional celebration service. But then they were asking people to be lighthouses in their community, which is doing discovery Bible studies, outreach, reaching your neighbors. And they were doing church twice. And it was really kind of, you know, their terms, killing people. Mm -hmm. So what they decided to do is cut back from that Sunday morning service Mm -hmm. and just meet once a month Mm. for celebration. Now, most people, when they look at that model, they will go immediately to, well, they only meet once a month. But that's not the issue. It's the underlying reason that they do that, that we really need to tackle. Why did they do that? Yeah. But I also think that they have, they're also more of a network. They're a disciple making movement. So their lighthouses are meeting more than once a month. It's just as a collective whole, you know, what we would typically say their church, I'm putting church in quotes because it's a different context. Um, That corporate gathering from my understanding, is the once a month. But their lighthouses are making disciples. They're engaging their communities, their oikos, you know, their groups. Yeah, but it's the underlying assumption of why they did that. It is more important for us to be making disciples than it is to gather to hear a sermon, right? Right. So what is their underlying assumption? And then the third one is a, a organization that we're part of, right? Pioneering Initiatives. And Pioneering Initiatives, they're kind of a like a church planting new expressions, like they start new things. Mm -hmm. But the basic idea, and for our listeners, if you listen to Andy Ashworth, he really did the best of describing what they're doing. We start churches from the harvest, Mm -hmm. right? We don't start churches from gathering a whole bunch of believers and then attempting to reach the harvest. We start churches from the harvest. And we'll get a little bit more into that, but there's kind of a team approach and things. So these are the three examples that we're going to be using of new models of church, of how they're doing things differently. And you'll begin to see these as I discuss five underlying assumptions that we have in church and how they've changed those assumptions, how they're mm-hmm. thinking differently, right? So we good to go on those? All right, everybody get out your pen and paper because Professor Daniel is about to begin. Okay, nerd alert. So the first one are the metrics that are used to gauge success. I don't care what church you go to, they will use these three metrics to gauge success. Mm -hmm. Attendance, salvations, and budget, right? And budget, budget, you know, meaning how much did we bring in? Okay. Mm -hmm. Attendance, salvation, budget. I don't care where you are. I don't care what church you have been to a council meeting, an elder meeting. You've been to the annual meeting of the church and they talked about these three things. How many people showed up? How many salvations? 
how, where's our budget? We met it or we did it. How much money do we have? Right. How much money do we have or not have? Right. Mm -hmm. So that is the basic metric that's used in church. Now, there's a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell who coined this term called capitalization. And when he describes capitalization, this is what he means. The rate at which a given community capitalizes on the human potential. What percentage of those who are capable of achieving something actually achieve it? Now, he's talking about school and college. But basically, if you were to look at it from a college perspective, it would be we would call it a graduation rate. How many people came into the school? Mm-hmm. How many people graduated? How many of those incoming freshmen met their potential? Okay. So what's happening in these new models of ministry is they're moving away from what I call the growth metrics, attendance, salvation, mm-hmm. and budget. And mm-hmm. they're starting to use a capitalization metric, which is how many people in our community are kingdom agents. Interesting. How many people in our community are starting micro churches or have mm-hmm. micro churches, right? It, it, we have to ask this question, what are believers capable of? When we sit yeah. down and think like, what is the actual potential of a believer? Is it to pass out bulletins? Is mm-hmm. it to play drums on the praise team? Like, is it to teach Sunday school? Those are all wonderful. But is this actually the potential? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that. What is the potential of the believer? You will do greater things than these. Yeah. When Jesus is doing miracles. He says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to do greater things than these. Yeah. We have to ask ourselves, the people in the church, are they doing greater things than these? Right. right. But these new church models, what they're starting to do is use that as their metrics for success. Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation with a gentleman, he's a pastor, and he pastors this church called Imago Day. It's in Portland, Oregon. And I was at a conference and and he was talking about how at the time, this is a lot of years ago, but at the time they had about 2,500 people that would, you know, make up their church, right? And he said, but of those 2,500 people, he only had about 150 that really got it. They really understood mm. the kingdom. So if you were to use that as your metric, your capitalization rate is like 8%. Right. Right. Because there's only 150 who are achieving who they are in Christ. Yeah. So these churches are beginning to reorient and restructure themselves away from how many butts can we get in the seats and starting to reorient themselves to what do we have to do yeah. to have the believer become a kingdom agent? Right. It's like an activating principle. Yeah. It's like it's an empowering principle. Right. Yeah. Salvation is the and, first step, not the end. Yeah. Well, and isn't it true that when we do sort of settle for these kind of pursuits of I show up, I serve, I help out at my church, and I learn a lot about God, like I have more knowledge downloaded into my brain. We settle for those things when the kingdom of God, like what you're reading in the gospels and in Acts is power and it is change and it is dynamic and people's lives are being radically transformed. And I think we see that in pockets here in the U.S., I know you and I went to the Dream Center in Los Angeles, like it's urban, very kind of rough sort of area. And they are doing transformational 
ministry there where people's lives are absolutely being turned around 180. And it's a packed house. (laughs) And we were so struck by how, yes, it was kind of a traditional service, right? It had the offering, it had the praise, it had the kind of the production element, but Matthew Barnett did not speak very long. I mean, what was it? 10 minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. And the whole service was devoted to people sharing how God had radically transformed their life. And that was the draw. So it was a packed house, not because Matthew Barnett is this amazing speaker, which I'm sure he's great, but it was seeing the power of God. It's so attractive when it's put out on display. And we see that a lot of times when we just, we kind of tend to settle, I think. Well, I think the Dream Center you bring up is a great, great example because we had a couple at our church who were like, they ran the Dream Center from the kind of operation side. And one of the things that in conversations that I had that they would say is they don't fundamentally look at salvations as like we were successful. The metric they actually use is how many of the people that were off the streets, off drugs, how many of those are now serving at the Dream Center? Right. Mm -hmm. How did they rotate them back into being um, agents of change? Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. The Dream Center is not just happy with, hey, four people came off drugs. No. Right. Dream Center is looking at it from, hey, we had 10 people that went through our program or came back and they're now counselors in our program. Right. That is fundamentally changing the way we do church, right? They yeah. have, they're they a great example of that, right? The second area that I wanted to talk about in, in the underlying assumptions is the funding model. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, well, everybody likes to talk money. about money. Okay. <laughs> now, as we're talking about the funding model, we're talking about efficiency versus inefficiency, right? So uh, <laughs> leading the argument, um, <laughs> we're going to say that the old wineskin is inefficient in its funding model <laughs> and that the new models of church have figured out not a perfect, but a far more efficient model, a funding model. So there is an organization called Charity Navigator. And what Charity Navigator does is they go in and they get all the data and the information from different charities and they help people. They give charities grades on how good their charities are in the sense of how much of your money goes to the field, what you actually want it to go to. Right. So right. if you give a hundred dollars to the red cross, right. To try to get people help for some things, mm-hmm. how much of that hundred dollars actually goes to the field. Okay. So yeah. they use an example and this example is the United way, which is okay. one of the largest yeah, charity organizations which is one of the largest charity organizations in the world. Well, in 
2018 and 2019, they did a little study of them and they found out that they brought $3.9 million in revenue, right? Which is just an astonishing amount of money, right? $3.9 million in revenue. Well, they went through and they looked at their operating costs and they looked at their fundraising costs. Their administrative operating costs were about $243 million. Their fundraising costs, you know, they have to put on dinners and mailers and, you know, wine and dine, the big time givers, cost them about $358 million. So wow. when you put those those two things together, it adds up to about $600 million, right? And when you look at that, you're like, how much money, right? But when you look at it in terms of how much they brought in, $3.9 million, it's around 15%. Okay. Now, Charity Navigator gives the United Way an A because their metric is any charity organization that's giving 65% of its money going into the field and 35% going into operating administrative costs and the other. Mm-hmm. That is a good charity. It's an efficient charity. You should feel good about giving your money to that charity. So any charity that doesn't hit that 65% in the field to where it was intended to go or that 35% operating, you know, building, staff, salary, all that kind of stuff, yeah. they would say that is not a charity worth giving. Now, yeah. let's move that over to the local church. Your average okay. church. Okay, take your pick. No, your church is not different. Right? Every church spends mm-hmm. about 80 to 85% of its budget on operating and administrative costs. The bulk of that money is buildings and staff. About yes. 10 to 15, maybe 20% that actually goes into the field. So right. according to Charity Navigator, their metrics, most churches are inefficient and you should not give your money to them. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? It's crazy to think about that, but it's also, I mean, we've all heard these huge scandals about like the Red Cross, right? I don't know. Do you remember when Haiti had their huge earthquake and the Red Cross was sending emergency help and all this stuff. There was an article that came out that was like an expose of just how much money does not get from the Red Cross to the field. And I think it was close to like 90% of it stays in kind of the admin, etc. area. Yeah, that's the local I mean, it church. Was a big percentage, yes. And so very, very little. And so this article was encouraging people to find other organizations to give to. Please don't give to the Red Cross because you're really not getting the, like, the most bang for your buck, so to speak. There's that other, uh, another charity that you and I appreciate called Charity Water. And Scott Harrison found a Charity Water with this, with this in mind where he decided I want my money, I want the money that comes in to actually make it to the field. So what he did is actually raise, he raises two separate funds. He raises for the actual work that they do, which is providing wells of clean water all over the world. And then separately, he raises his admin costs. 
sense. And so people can choose to give to the field, which to be honest, it's a lot easier to raise money for the field, right? People want to give to that. Or people can give to his admin costs. And it's funny, I actually appreciate that. Like I would give to admin because I've been there (laughs) and we know how hard it is. It can be right to raise admin. Anyway, so that's our funding, efficient versus inefficient and traditional church models with buildings and salaries and big budgets are inefficient because those things just absorb so much of the giving. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's a sin. I'm not saying that anyone is wrong. I'm saying it's an inefficient model. Five to 10 to 15 to 20% of our tithe and offerings dollars is actually going into the field, right? The next part is the ministry model. Now you're going to have to help me with this because I always mispronounce this word. Your big fancy words are centrifugal and centripetal. Centrifugal? Yep. That's it. Okay, yeah, it should be centrifugal. <laughs> like that's the way it should be pronounced. Clearly, you were not a science major in yeah. college. Okay. okay, so basically what you have is I use this analogy to describe the way in which the ministry model is changes. So what you have, the majority of what you have now is a centripetal force. And what that means is if, if you just kind of take a, a, cent, a point, a center, and you were to take like a, a clock, you know, the hand of a clock and just have it spin in circles really fast, then it would, a centripetal force is drawing everything in to itself. It's like a tractor beam from uh, Star Wars, right? It's a centripetal centripetal force. Well, in your typical local church models, ministry is done as a centripetal force. Everything that happens is designed to draw inward, right? Even when we're going out and we're doing, you know, an Easter in the park, or we're doing some sort of like Battle of the Bands concert, the end result is always, well, hopefully they'll come and be a part of the church. They'll join. Right. That's like the desired outcome is if we do this thing out in the community, maybe they'll like us so much, they'll come. And as we've shared before, our old leadership, our old denomination said those people need to turn into what? Giving Giving units. (laughs) Giving units, right? Uh Well, that's a whole nother discussion, but it's the whole thing. Everything is drawing inward, right? It's all coming in. We're trying to gather, bring them to our service, bring them to our different ministries, okay? Mm -hmm. Versus the centrifugal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Now you just did that on purpose. Okay. Which is the same kind of concept, except this in its gravitational kind of push is pushing everything out. So new models of ministry, uh, the new expressions of ministry are saying, go out, but don't come back. Right. So when you're going to go out and do an outreach in the high schools, stay in the high schools. When you're going to go reach the hum- homeless population down on, you know, something like Skid Row, don't bring them back to church. Stay out there. When you start some sort of like we do, you know, like a supper club in your house, the goal isn't to get them to come back to our church service. 
stay out, start another one down the other block. So there's these two different ways of doing ministry. One is pushing all ministry out, and the other one is pushing all ministry in. And even the churches where they say, you know, our services are evangelistic. Okay, it's still pulling inward, right? It's not pushing outward. So that's, that's the third difference or the way underlying assumption that's being changed. Well, and don't you see that in Jesus's ministry? I mean, he constantly sent his disciples out and he wasn't asking them to, Hey guys, can you go, can you go to the next town and bring them all back with you, please? Cause we are giving is low and we really could use a new children's wing. That's not what you see. He sent them out to towns and villages and said, keep going. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a great, that's a great, great point. You know, when he sent out the 12, right, he sent them out, you know, and don't take anything with you. Look for the person to peace, all that. Then they come back and they tell him about all the great things that happen, right? Well, later on, he sends the 72. And where did he send the 72? The exact same place that he sent the 12. And never in that commission does he say, I want you to go into the towns and the villages, perform healings, and then bring them back. I'll be here Friday night at seven right. for a service, right? right. That, that's not how it's done, right? Jesus, as you really see, is that centrifugal, I just can't, I can't do it. (laughs) Centrifugal force, right? He's pushing Uh out. You will go out. You will be, you will be my disciples, right? You will go out and make disciples. So that is a fundamental change that is occurring in these new models of church. The fourth one is the leadership model. And that is the shift from centralized forms of leadership to more decentralized forms of leadership. Now, what I've always found very, very interesting is probably the majority of people listening to this podcast, we come from the Protestant tradition. We're children of the Reformation. And one of the tenets of the Reformation is the priesthood of all believers, where every believer can not only have a relationship with Christ, but every believer can do the work of ministry. We all believe that. Mm -hmm. It's a doctrine. It's a tenet we believe. Yes. But that's not how we do church. No, that's not how we live. No, we don't live in our church settings as though that's true. We have still, we still live under the Catholic model with the priest. Then you got like, you know, your your deacons, your elders, something like that. And then you got everybody sitting in the pews. This is the typical model that you see in church, whether it's a pastor, a bishop, a rector, whatever you want to call it. There is yeah. some form of centralized authority, right? The buck stops with me. Well, and I remember while we were pastoring, many times if it was like, let's say a prayer time, your line was so much longer because it, for some reason it's more powerful if the pastor prays for you, right? It can't be your brother and sister in Christ or one of like your small group leader or whoever those people are. It's gotta be the pastor, which is interesting because yeah, that's what Catholics, that's the Catholic model is the priest has to pray for you. Yeah. So our model, like whether you want to say that, you know, we have an agrarian model or the congregational model or, you know, any, for those of you that like those theological terms, anything like that, fundamentally at the end of the day, it is centralized ministry. It's hierarchical. It's authoritarian. Okay. 
Yes. The new models of ministry are, are beginning to decentralize ministry. So instead of a focal point of authority, they're kind of running more on shared leadership. There's right. no one person who's the head. It's a grouping of people. So the elder model would be something along those lines, right? We have elders, different elders are responsible for different portions of the church, different life of the church, but there's no one elder who is in charge of everything. Now, you do have some churches who think they're elder-based, but they're not. They're a centralized figure with some elders, right? But at the end of the day, it's the head elder who's making all the decisions. That is not decentralized church. Right, yeah. But the biblical idea of having elders and then deacons under that, that is a decentralized model. The other model that's really becoming prevalent is the APES leadership, which is, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, where God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, APEST leadership is where you're trying to have your team have all of those offices mm-hmm. or ways of doing ministry a part of that team. So when you're looking at apostle, not the big A apostle like Paul, but just apostle, mm-hmm. the gifting, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, who's the boss? The apostle. No, nobody. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're all... <laughs> They're all like different offices for different purposes, right? So the idea behind this. Sorry, you're kind of apostolic and you're definitely the boss. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm married to a prophet. She's the boss. (laughs) So we all know the prophets rule the world. Um, But it's shared leadership. We all have our roles. We all have different expressions of Jesus and his character, but there's no one person Mm -hmm. who's heading this up. So it's these decentralized forms moving away from pastor is king, look at to the pastor, presidents of denominations, supervisors. I mean, let's be honest, honey, when, when I pastored the church I was at, I was the king. I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. That's right. the way things were structured. Now, I chose to give away quite a bit of leadership, but that's just the way that it was. And new models are saying, that's not good. We can't sure. continue to move forward in that way. Mm-hmm. The last one, which is the church planting, right? They're reimagining how church planting is done. And this is the traditional model versus what I call the harvest model. Okay, The traditional model versus the harvest model. Now, the traditional church plant goes something like this. You will start off with a core team. You're trying to gather people with you that want to go start a new church and you'll get together and you'll have some meetings and you'll maybe move somewhere. You'll do something. Mm -hmm. But then you are, everything is moving to immediately want to, and these are the words, right? Launch your service. Correct. When, When are you, when are you launching? I didn't know churches launched. I thought rockets launched. I thought missiles launched, but when, when are we going to launch? When are you going to, they use centrifugal force. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sorry, you got me all screwed up with that, with that comment, (laughs) (laughs) but we want to hurry up. We want to go live, right? We want to go public 
And yeah. the way that we consider being public or live is let's hold a church service, right? So we're going to advertise. We put door hangers. We're gathering people, okay? Then after that, once you've got your crowd of people that are typically transfer people from other churches, right? There's a few conversions in there, but fundamentally it's all people from other churches. Then they start ministries. So, hey, we're getting our kids ministry going. Hey, we just hired a youth pastor. We're going to get the youth going. Okay, join our small group. So gather your team, launch your service, start your ministries. Then the next phase is have your discipleship program come in. You do the Rick Warren model, 101, 201, 301, 401. You have some sort of Bible study, some sort of curriculum. You get that in place, and then you start doing your outreach, which typically comes in the form of events. Hey, we're going to do a movie night. Hey, we're having something. Come join us in what we're doing. That's your typical church planting model. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad or it's wrong. I'm just saying that's the particular model. Yeah. And so in contrast, our new organization, PI, our team, Pioneering Initiatives, believes or pursues the idea of we want to plant churches. So we have an abandoned church and the gathering together, but we want to plant them by starting in the harvest. So in other words, hold gatherings like a supper club or a barbecue or a poker night and ask the Lord, seek the Lord for those people who are pre-believers, sensitive to the spirit. They're ready. Infuse that into your event, whatever it is you're having. But it's just a normal thing. It's not like an invitation to church. It's just something normal. Then once you've got some new believers, then you may start a church, that kind of idea, right? Yeah. So the new expressions of church or the new models of church, they're forming the church, what we would consider church, right? With its worship services and with its ministries, that is the last step, not the first step in the model. So we want to pray. We want to listen and discern the Spirit's voice. So where we're engaging culture, we're wanting to make disciples. Then we're we're developing those people, uh, leadership formation, the disciples, and then we're forming mm-hmm. churches, right? It's completely turning the whole thing around, okay? Yeah. And so those are really the five assumptions that you're seeing these new models of ministry change. Right. They're coming at it from a different perspective. So let me give you an example from each each kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was going to say we start with Tampa Underground and you're going to look at those five things. Capitalization, efficiency, whether it's centrif- centrifugal or centripetal. Centrifugal. <laughs> Centralized or decentralized. And whether whether they start in the harvest or do something different. So the Tampa Underground, they use a capitalization model, right? So it's not how many people show up to their service. Like literally half of the people in their church go to their service. Mm -hmm. But that's not what they're counting. They're counting the number of micro churches, right? So they're using a capitalization rate. We believe that the more micro churches we start, 
That's how we measure success. That's how we know yeah. the kingdom has come, right? They are efficient. They moved into a fundraising model. So they go to businesses, different things like that, and they share resources. So all of the micro churches, instead of all of these churches kind of covering their own printing costs, they all pooled in on one printer. And in one podcast I listened to by the founder, Brian Sanders, he said they saved $72,000 in printing costs. Now, just imagine if every church in our town just said, you know what, we're spending way too much money on printing. Let's share resources. How much money could we save? But we don't because we're little fiefdoms and we like our own printers. So just (laughs) in that kind of thing, they have changed the funding model, right? They've become more efficient in what they do. Uh, Their church service is optional. So everything they're doing is pushing forward. It's not centripetal in nature in where they're bringing, hey, go start your micro churches and then come back to our service. It's no, no, no. Actually, don't even come to our service. Go out and start your own services, right? Mm-hmm. They still value worship, the word, um, you know, yeah. Acts 242, the apostles teaching, communion, praise, you know, worship. They sure. still value that, but they say, go out and do it where you are. You don't need to yeah. come back and do it here. They are decentralized. All of their micro churches are independent nonprofits with an elder, elder-led leadership. Their micro churches are not ministries of the Tampa ground underground. That's right. super duper important. They have the, or their yeah. own articles of incorporation. They have their own doctrinal statements, their own beliefs, mm-hmm. their own code of conduct. There, there are certain things that tie them together, but it's very decentralized. And then the last one is the harvest in their calling module, the calling lab, where they're bringing people in to find out their micro churches. It starts with what people group are you going to reach? Yeah. And how do you act incarnationally with that people group? Not let's go find a building. Yeah, that's so refreshing. Let's do some real estate, you know, knocking on doors. Let's get ourselves a good building and then we'll open up. Yeah. One just really quickly going back to the leadership model. Tampa Underground, I actually heard Brian Sanders say he and his family left. And this was actually several years ago, I believe. But they left, they moved to Ireland, and he said from the from the stage that day that the reason they did that is if they're going to ask other people to go to the harvest and start something, he knew that eventually he was going to have to as well. And then at the same time, he said he wanted to give the other leaders in their resource center. So kind of like the central cog of all the micro churches, he wanted to give them the opportunity to lead and do the things that he was doing, but he knew they would never be able to, if he hung around, he called it his ghost. (laughs) His ghost would be present in every meeting during every talk. And I just thought that was so wise and how often do you hear a leader say that? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to say almost never. Like he was the only one. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely a unicorn. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah. You, you, you don't have that. What you see happening today is the exact opposite. Not only am I not going to leave, but I'm not even going to let anybody else go. We're just going to start another campus and my face is going to be up there. Yeah. That's that's a centralized authoritarian uh, hierarchical model. 
Yeah. I'm the leader. Right. So, so no one else is allowed to go out. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm the only one. So anyway, that's a whole nother anyway. story. So then you have the lighthouse fellowships, our friends, Nikki and Kelly that do in Alaska capitalization, right? This is, they use the capitalization model. They're counting the number of lighthouses, not the number of people that are in the lighthouses. They're not yeah. counting the number of salvations in the lighthouses necessarily. They're saying, you'll hear this in their in their interview, we started with just us. We were one lighthouse and then we had three and now we're up to seven lighthouses. Well, how many people make up those lighthouses? Well, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't <laughs> that's, matter. That's, whether it's five or 20 in your local church model, a lot of people can say, well, that's just small groups. No, because in your local church model, there's a number attached to small groups. Yeah. We have small groups of six to eight. We have small groups of 10 to 12. When it reaches 15, then they have to split. Like there's, there's just books and papers and whole degrees you can get on small group models. They don't count that. It doesn't matter how big or how small the lighthouse is. What matters is, are they engaging their community and are they doing discovery Bible studies? If they're doing right. that, that's great. And then can we multiply more lighthouses? How are we exactly. doing this? Okay. The next one is the efficiency. They have no facilities because they don't need one. They rent yeah. something once a month where everybody gets together and nobody's on staff. They just do stipends. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they've taken care of that funding model to make it more efficient. There's no weekly gathering. Okay. There's a monthly service. So it's pushing all ministry outward, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you waiting for the grand poobah to wax elegantly, you know, eloquently on scripture? You go out, lead your own Bible studies, right? Right. Now, what they've done is they've realized that there still needs to be some sort of training or teaching. So they have a weekly conference call with the lighthouse leaders to just go over issues. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Something yeah. like that. But notice how that's an ancillary meeting. They don't have yeah. a special meeting just for that. They offer coaching. And then Kelly even said at one point to ensure that there's some sort of doctrinal unity going yeah. on and you don't get these nut jobs going off talking about how, you know, October 21st, Jesus is coming back, which right. it's October 21st and he hasn't come back yet. So the next one is it's decentralized, right? There's no pastor of the lighthouse fellowships, right? Each lighthouse leader is an independent leader and it's a network of leaders that come together. Mm -hmm. right? It's completely decentralized. And then finally, it's from the harvest, right? They're about making disciples and they're about leadership formation. They're about it so much that they said, I mean, I mean, just imagine how revolutionary this is. We think our Sunday morning service is getting in the way <laughs> of making disciples. Now, right. I'm not saying that every church should do this. I, I don't right. think you should, right? Yeah. But just like, can you see how they're changing their yeah. underlying models is we're about making disciples and anything that's going to get in the way of making disciples, we're going to get rid of it. Yeah. It was very, I mean, they're awesome. But it was like, anyway, sorry, regardless of church and everything, they're really awesome people. But I thought it's so discerning, really, because they were probably feeling that. But to make that call is really, that's a big call to make for a pastor. You know, we pastored for a long time. If we had told our people, that's it, Sunday morning's getting in the way. <laughs> 
Well, so, you wouldn't have a Sunday morning because there'd be no more people. <laughs> I just kudos to them like that. Yeah. I just really admire what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that underlying assumption is that we as the church have been called to make disciples. Right. We as the church have not been called to have worship services. Correct. I think my friend Jared Osler, he's the church planning coordinator for Southern Baptist in L.A. And he says, Jesus didn't die for your worship service. Are you sure? Jesus, Jesus died. Jesus died to make disciples, right? Yeah. Amen. And so when that happens, then everything is on the table. Yes. Now, let me reiterate very clearly. I'm not against worship services. I think they're great. We just got to look at them from the point of view of, are they helping or hindering making disciples? And then finally, pioneering initiatives, the organization that we're a part of, they, they do capitalization, right? They don't, they don't check attendance. So we've been with them for about six months now, somewhere around there. They've never asked how many people. They've never asked what our budget is. They've never asked, you know, if we have uh, giving units, give salvation, like none of that. Those aren't the conversations, right? The question that they ask that they really sort of structure everything around is how many discovery Bible studies do you have? Right. Mm -hmm. We want to multiply discovery Bible studies because we believe that in having discovery Bible studies, the believer is allowed to be a priest, right? They're fulfilling their role in the kingdom. It's made up of people who are spiritually sensitive, who, right. you know, in turn will hopefully be, get saved and become disciples. But all you can do is create the space. We can't make people become Christians. That's a work of the spirit. Okay, So they count DBSs. They don't even count the amount of teams they have necessarily or how many outreaches they're doing. How many DBSs do you have going on? They have changed the funding model. So there's no ties. There's no offerings. It's, it's you know, you're not taking the giving or anything. The people that make up the teams are self-supported, whether that's through jobs uh, bivocational, they own a business or support fundraising like a, like a missionary. So yeah. no longer are you worried as the team leader about are these people are going to give or where is my income coming? No, now any money that is part of the team or the group, it can all go into the field. So they're very much doing kind of that charity water idea. Everything that comes in in this group is going back out and we're going to raise our admin costs somewhere else. Right. Exactly. Okay. It's decentralized in that it is built around teams around the APES model, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. So on our team, that's been one of the first things that we've been coached to do is begin to pray about having a complete unit. Who's your apostle? Who's your prophet? Who's your evangelist? Who's your shepherd? Who's your teacher? Don't move forward until you've got this leadership team set. The opposite model is, hey, have you ever considered going and getting further degrees? Sure. Or, hey, I really need a youth pastor. You look like you would do. Hey, you can breathe. <laughs> Remember that one summer I was a youth pastor for oh, you? I, I do. <laughs> I, I am the only pastor that fired his wife from being a youth pastor. I you am were... terrible youth pastor. I am yeah. zero fun. <laughs> then finally, what they do is the harvest, right? They plant churches from the harvest. So we have been encouraged many, many times. Don't worry about launching. Don't worry about where you're going to meet. Don't, don't worry about any of that. Focus on the making disciples. 
Yeah. The other stuff will come later. And so these are models of ministry that you're seeing today that are not focused in on how we do sermons, how we pray, how we pray, praise, all that. That's not the fundamental questions they're asking. They're asking the questions, what are the metrics that we should be using? How are we decentralizing leadership? How can we change the funding model? How can we move all ministry outwards? And how can we change how we start churches, how we plant churches? And I think as I look at the fruit of these movements, it's so exciting to me. It's way more exciting than having this big event. I mean, the event is exciting, but then I always remember we'd have this big event. And then the next Sunday, you were so hoping that people would show up and they just don't. They're not coming to church anymore. They're not coming to the building, right? But Jesus still wants to minister to them. So we know that there is more to church with the capital C, that Jesus intended so much more for his church, his bride, than what we're seeing in our American institutions. (laughs) Really the world over. Yeah, Mm. sure. Okay. But I don't think we're going to see what Jesus really intended and and dreamt for us or until we move forward with these new underlying assumptions or core beliefs, fundamental beliefs, because it's completely different. Like the foundation of what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing is totally different in these kind of contrasting models, right? And it takes us back to like new wineskins, old wineskins. These old wineskins of how we're doing traditional church aren't working anymore because people are leaving in droves and we aren't seeing growth happen in the U.S. You know, it's interesting you say that. I did this paper in my graduate studies a long time ago. And I look. I was looking at the growth of the church in all fifty states, mm-hmm. and I found in my research this was probably two thousand two thousand eight two thousand and nine when I did this paper. I found that there was only one state that the church growth was outpacing the population growth. Oh. And- and every other state, all 49 states, the population growth was outpacing church growth. Would you want to take a guess what state? I know. I'm thinking, what state was that? Come on. Golly. Come on. Take a guess. Oh, the state that's growing. Florida. Hawaii. Oh. Yeah. And, and that was typically because of two guys, Ralph Moore and Wayne Cordero, right? They yes. They were populating. And they were structuring their churches like this way back when. They were the only ones. The Bible Belt? Right. Nope. Church growth is not outpacing population. Texas, you know, where everything is bigger and every megachurch that's ever existed somehow has roots to Texas, right? Yes, (laughs) Like that's that's not growing. California, I mean, we don't even need to talk about that, right? Right. It's it's not, it's, it's just not happening. And what we're doing is we're expecting that if we just tweak these old wineskins a little bit, that'll solve it. Yeah. Let's put a patch on it. You know, let's let's do something like that. No, Jesus has given us 
this opportunity, I guess, for something new. And I mean, even the, you know, in Isaiah, behold, I am doing something new, right? And the former things have come to pass. I think that's what we're seeing here. And people have been talking about COVID. I don't think you can get in a conversation without bringing up COVID, but I, I think Jesus is giving us an opportunity and an invitation. Would you consider some new wine? No, it's not about getting back in the building and defying the county. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for you and me and my neighbor, who, by the way, is not going to come to the building with you. So anyway, new wineskins and new wine means seeing the whole thing differently. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time, we have the opportunity to interview Nikki and Kelly Chewbacca. They're co-leaders of the Lighthouse Fellowships in Alaska, which we referenced earlier. So super excited to get a little more information on what they're doing. Kelly is actually the state commissioner of Alaska. And Nikki is the commissioner of the Department of Education for the state of Alaska. So we're literally interviewing the two people that run Alaska. It's so awesome. <laughs> they will share with us how they've re- imagine church and are utilizing their influence for the sake of the kingdom. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the lowrysonmission.org or on Facebook at the Lowry's on Mission. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.